You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to the Up Your Brave show here with Natalie Cutler-Welsh on Reality Check Radio. Next up, I'm speaking with Jeanette Wilson on the topic of standing up and speaking out. Welcome to the show, Jeanette. Great to be here, Natalie. So good to talk to you from Oriwa, which for those of you that don't know is um, north of Auckland. I know you're visiting Christchurch um, at the moment, but living in Oriwa. For those of you that don't know Jeanette, Jeanette was a bank manager at the age of 29, quite a rare feat for anyone, but especially a woman back in the 1990s. She emigrated to New Zealand in 1999 and joined her partner dairy farming for a few years as they homeschooled their two children. In 1994, she set up Eco School in Taranaki as an alternative form of education. Jeanette is best known as a healer and a medium. She had her own TV series on TV3 that put her very unique skills to the test. She is the author of four books and more recently the co-creator of three albums with the super talented Medwin Goodall. Jeanette's healing center in Oriwa had, um, had to close when Jeanette chose not to take the experimental mRNA injection and was no longer able to see her clients because of government mandates. Sending you love for that, Jeanette. It's huge. Um, Jeanette traveled with the Freedom Convoy and was stood frontline at Wellington. Jeanette's sternum was broken by the police officers at Parliament on day three of the protest. So that is quite a journey that you've been on, not just since the banking days, but particularly in the last few years. Um, so Jeanette, I guess the first thing I'd love to ask you is how, coming from your perspective, how have the last three years been for you? I, I think they've been absolutely dreadful. Um, it, it, my eyes were opened um, many, many years ago when I had a premature baby. My first child, Sarah, was born prem. She was uh, 31 and a half weeks. She weighed three pounds, 11 and a half ounces. And when they give you the baby's weight in half ounces, you know, they're small. And so a head would fit in my hand and her toes would be in the crook of my elbow. And we put her in doll's clothes. And we had to wait until she was five pounds to get discharged from the hospital. And the same week she was discharged from the hospital, a, a doctor visited me in my home. Now, I'm of a generation where when I was a kid, the doctors used to visit you in your home. But as a, a grown woman then of 35, I'd never known a doctor visit me in my home in adulthood because now we went to them. Uh, but this doctor visited me in my home and she brought with her six needles to give my little girl that was only five pounds. And I've had every vaccine going myself, but when faced with my five five pound baby and six large needles, I said to the doctor, will you be giving her smaller doses because she's not normal body weight or could she have just three now and, and three later? Um, and the doctor flew into a rage with me, an absolute rage. And uh, she ended up storming out, left a thermometer uh, but it put me on a journey of inquiring why was that doctor so so passionate that my child should have those vaccines? Um, and I found that at that point in time, for the doctor to get their annual bonus, they had to have 100% vaccine take up. And so I was affecting her annual bonus. But that to me, that shouldn't be the reason as to whether we give a child something. It should be based on the child's need. And so it sent me on quite a journey of exploring uh, vaccines, uh, whereas previously I would, you know, I've, I've personally I've had every 
everything going. I, I'm not what somebody would call an anti-vaxxer, but I did wonder why why I got such a strong reaction from the doctor. I just want to uh, jump in there and honor you for having the the courage, but also the convic- conviction to ask at the time, is, can, isn't there a smaller dose? Because one would think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One would think, I mean, when they first started, as I call it, coming for the kids with the jabs a few years ago, I asked that question too. I said, surely they've got smaller doses. I mean, an eight-year-old is not the same size as a 58-year-old man. Like this does not make sense to me, although I'm not a medic, um, nor am I a scientist. Um, So good on you, I guess, for asking those questions. And I didn't know about that bonus, but I've always wondered, and I wanted to ask, so here I am asking, how much do or did the pharmacies and also the doctor clinics get paid per covid Jab. I'm I'm curious to know. If someone knows, you can text me 2057 or send an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Do you know, Jeanette? No, I, but it's an excellent question. It's an excellent question because um, usually when there is something afoot, just follow the money. Who benefits from this? And lots of centres sprung up in shopping malls, people that weren't qualified. I went and sat in one uh, at the Westgate shopping mall, uh, West Auckland. Um, and I sat in the queue to ask some questions and, um, yeah, security decided to show me out. <laughs> and I said, well, are you police? Can we have the police here? They didn't want the police here. So I've got lots of questions about who was giving these jabs, how much money was paid. Um, and they clearly weren't doing informed consent. Clearly not. No. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I have s- some serious concerns. You know, uh, well, good on you for getting in the line. I mean, some people know my story. I was crying on the kitchen floor as husband took teenagers to get their jabs and then decided it was going to be three weeks apart as well, which again, don't get me started. So um, good on you for even going there and asking the questions. And I'm pretty sure most of the people sitting in those chairs did not ask questions, nor did they possibly get asked questions about their own health and, and wellness. It just, it just, it's a bit of an assembly line or it was. But now people are starting to wake up and they're starting to shake up and they're starting to stand up and speak out, which is really the topic that you've selected for today. Um, so c- carry on, please carry on with with your journey and how have things been for you in the last three years? Yeah, so my, my alarm bells with this particular injection, and I won't call it a vaccine because that would be a misnomer because the old description of vaccine was something that gave us immunity. And they actually changed the definition of vaccine to get this one through. It's mRNA technology. As far as I'm concerned, it is a bioweapon. So um, my first concerns were as a healer, I was working with a young lady in the US. She was, I would say, 23, 24. And she, I do a lot of healing in Zoom calls. Um, years ago, TV3 put me to the test as both a medium and a healer. And I've got you know, international clients. So this young girl had a healing with me on a Zoom call. She told me she got rheumatoid arthritis. Now I've worked on a lot of people with, you know, arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis over the years, but I'd never experienced what I experienced with her. It was like a black liquid, a little bit like an oil, like nothing I'd ever seen on a spiritual level. And so after a session, it kept popping into my head that that wasn't like any rheumatoid arthritis I'd ever seen before. So I decided to drop her a line and say, look, how are you after the session? And she said, oh, I've really gone downhill. Well, that young lady was dead within the week. 
and she'd had the Moderna vaccine. And that really did, you know, frighten me. Um, the next thing for me was uh, my mom. Uh, my mom's she would have been 79 and she was about to go into hospital to have an op. And it was an op that she got part of the bowel was twisted around her lungs. And so she needed two surgeons, one for the lower part and one for the upper part. So it had to be carefully orchestrated, this op with both surgeons to be there. And much against my wishes, she'd had uh, the first two jabs. She hadn't had a booster yet. She'd had the first two. She went in for her op and she'd been given the pre-med. And then one of the surgeons came rushing out to say, I am so sorry, Mrs. Wilson. I've never had to do this in the whole of my history. I'm, but I've got to stop your op because you've got clotting in the carotid arteries in your neck and we can't do the surgery. So, you know, I knew that there was something wrong with this. Um, you can't produce an injection in the, the time frame that they got. And this mRNA is completely untested on humans at the point they rolled it out. So, you know, I got big alarm bells ringing. For myself personally, then, um, another healer friend had one of his clients die. Um, locally in Oriwa, we had, um, it's called, it's a Ryman's nursing home called the Evelyn Page nursing home and they've got a lot of older people and typically in a month they will lose three or four people that's not uncommon well as they went through with the boosters in two weeks they lost 20 20 people so when I heard about that you know I, I was horrified that's that's you know I'm seeing as I'm sure a lot of your listeners are we're seeing more people losing more family members than ever before and people of all ages but when a nursing home suddenly loses 20 in two weeks, as opposed to three or four in a month, somebody should be on inquiry. So what I did, and, and you know, I believe in a higher power. I work with a higher power when I do healing, but I also believe a higher power guides my life. I saw in our local paper that Dr. Ashley Bloomfield was coming and visiting that nursing home. And I couldn't believe my luck. I thought, oh, here's my opportunity to actually go to the man himself you know, our director of health and ask him if they are doing an investigation into those 20 people that died. And, and as luck would have it, you know, he did his talk, took questions at the end. I got on the microphone and I was able to ask him that question. And he said, oh, well, I'm not the director of health anymore. You'll have to ask Ryman's. So I asked the manager of Ryman's and she said something, oh, we've, we've had a COVID outbreak. And I, I said, well, did you do post-mortems to find out the cause of death and she didn't answer that so I asked her it three times and she would not answer and the, the thing that's really scary now Natalie is that nursing that nursing home now retirement village they're no longer printing the names of who dies they've stopped it, it used to be every every month in their newsletter so not only have they not investigated the deaths now it's looking very much like they're covering things up um, and so my next step with that one is actually to go to the police and get a crime report. I'm just uh, reaching out now to family members that are concerned about, you know, the suddenness of their loved ones dying. One chap I know there uh, in his 80s, and, and that's a good age. You know, I'm not going to object if I get to 80. But the, the family members had rung the day before to check, is he OK? And they rang before they set off. Is he fine? He's absolutely fine. He's having his lunch outside. By the time they arrived, he was dead. So really, you know, the nursing home should be asking questions and they're not. Um, 
The question I've got on that as well is, were or did the nursing homes, aged care facilities, et cetera, did they label things as died by COVID when they weren't, you know, the way that the hospitals did and the way that I've found in the research I've done that many hospitals, I'm going to say in America, but probably in New Zealand too, got paid, you know, per death that was died by COVID. We've heard that we've heard that, you know, that the numbers um, were inflated to make people encourage people to get the vaccine. It is all very questionable. Some of these questions have been in our minds for a while. It's time for these questions to be asked out loud. So thank you for raising them and for possibly following them up, like you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. We, we, we've, you know, a lot of us know what's happening, but we've actually got to take it to the next stage, you know, asking those questions, particularly about the money, who benefits from this? And, and it is, it's big pharma, it's the drug companies, but it's some pharmaceutical practices that have expanded, you know, um, and it's educating people as well about, you know, what, you know, if you've got somebody that's listening today that needs to know, what do I do? How do I check if I am okay? Uh, a big shout out for New Zealand doctors, NZDSOS, yeah. you know, they will point you in the right direction. They've got details of what are the hot batches, um, you know, a hot batch being a vaccine that's having more adverse effects in our community than one that isn't. Um, but yet we can't sit idle. Um, we've got to, you know, get word out there and do what we can to um, alert people like the police so that the proper investigations are done. Yes. So the time has come and gone where we and many of us did try to deter family members, loved ones, random members of the public from going ahead with it. That And that time has come and gone. People did what they yeah. did. We're not trying to make anyone feel bad, but raising awareness so that people can be proactive in terms yes. of detoxing. Am I right? Yeah. Is that is that so you're saying people yeah. can get in touch with NZDSOS? Can you tell yes. us what the acronym is for New Zealand doctors? Yeah, New Zealand doctors speaking out with science. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, all credit to them. They are people that have been mandated out of their jobs. Really good doctors. I would say the cream, the la creme de la creme of our doctors. Same with our teachers. The really good ones that could that were educated, that could think for themselves, that weren't going to be coerced or bullied or made to feel guilty, that had a conscience within them that they could listen to, they all left. Mm -hmm. And so we've lost our very best teachers and we've lost our very best doctors. And that's something that we we need to bring them back into the fold. We need them. You know, the, the, the schools need them and our hospitals desperately need the nursing staff and doctors back. I totally agree. So if people happen to know the batch number of the vaccine that they the injectable mRNA that they took, they are able to contact um, NZDSOS and find out, are you saying some batches are placebo and some aren't? Uh, We don't necessarily that they're placebo. I know um, Linda Wharton, who's another one of our heroes that needs a big shout out. Indeed, Linda Wharton's got a view that maybe some of them weren't kept at the cold temperature they need to be. So maybe they didn't do as much damage in people's systems as they would have otherwise done. We don't know if there were placebos. I like to think maybe there were, because uh, like you, one of my children has been vaccinated, much against my wishes, but a grown child, what can we do? Um, I wished I'd got greater powers of persuasiveness back then, but I didn't. Uh, but it then means that you then educate yourself about what do we do to get the damage reversed or mitigated as much as we can. 
Is that something you can comment on? How, what can we do to mitigate the damage if someone either is feeling um, effects, you know, after effects, whether it be their heart or they know about blood clots or whether they just don't have any effects, but they're nervous now is, do you know some steps they can take? I, I refer everybody to New Zealand doctors mm -hmm. because I know, you know, as a healer, I work with energy and vibrations, so I can feel if something's doing harm in the body. But um, legally, I'm not allowed to diagnose and legally, I'm not allowed to give any kind of medical advice. Mm -hmm. And so I always think if I refer them to New Zealand doctors, they will get there the help they need from somebody who is medically trained that knows about the spike proteins and how they connect to the ACE2 receptors in the cells. So I've got some knowledge, but I'd always rather that let's refer them to a doctor because that way they're going to get the right advice. Yes. And of course, not just go to see a doctor because usually they'll probably just put you on antibiotics. Um, the, go and see, look at one of the NZD SOS, ideally one of them. They've do done. Zoom calls. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. And what I'll aim to do is with the replay, I'll aim to find the link and put that with the replay. So you guys can, if you're listening, um, or you can just probably Google it, but we'll make sure you get in touch. Um, well, Jeanette, okay. What else would you like? I'm going to, I would love to talk about Wellington and your experience there, but is there anything else you want to share before we do that? Um, yeah, the, the mandates meant that, you know, when we were told we needed to have the vaccine, I, I work as a healer in close proximity with my clients, so I couldn't continue healing. Um, and so my healing center had to close. Um, I'm fortunate that I can work on zoom. Uh, so um, I was able to still provide, you know, my family with an income. Um, but I really did feel for those people that couldn't do that, that all of a sudden, especially trained professionals, whether it was firemen, police, army, doctors, you know, I've got a friend who's an anesthetist. She had to walk away from a job that she's trained for years to do very specialized job, but she couldn't continue. So I'd got great empathy. And that was why I, I traveled down to Wellington to stand for those that couldn't stand there, um, but was horrified at, at what happened. Yeah. I believe that in Australia at the moment, at least there's been some um, class action suits and people are getting some, some people are getting some financial retribution. I don't know if that will, I imagine it might happen in New Zealand. Have you heard about anything like that? Uh, no, I've, I've not about people losing their jobs per se. I have heard about Casey Hutchinson, a class action there for her injury. Uh, and I'm also doing one with people that were injured at Wellington. That's that's how I'm standing up and speaking out. You get to realise you can't fight all the battles. So pick and choose the ones that you can, where you're knowledgeable. And, and I tend to find that the higher power puts you into the place where you can make most difference. Mm. Um, so because I did have my sternum broken by police at Wellington, I was one of the worst injured on the third day of the protest. Uh, what really shocked me was, apart from the injury, of course, itself, and then assault, I was assaulted by five different police officers when I'd done nothing wrong, broken no laws, been entirely peaceful. And even with a broken sternum in absolute ag agony, I was still very, very peaceful and, and polite with people. Um, that the media then just completely cover it up, that, you know, the mainstream media is just, you realise it is just propaganda. The, the day after the 10th of February, so 
Um, it was only the third day of the Wellington protest. 90 of the public were injured 30 seriously. It never got on a single radio station in a single newspaper. The newspaper said two police were injured. And for anybody that was there, you know, there was a huge outcry from the people, which meant more people then turned up at Wellington because we knew what had happened. The TV three and one hadn't reported it properly, but people had recorded it on their cell phones and the police turned on the people. It was just unbelievable. I'd never have believed it if I hadn't seen it myself. And I mean, many months have passed since then. And I think more people are realizing they weren't quite told the truth about that. I mean, for me, I was literally on the phone with some people close to me and I was saying, goodness me, you know, some of my friends are messaging me from Canada because they've heard about how the police have been behaving. Um, mm. And they were like, oh, where did you hear that? Like I got attacked for even insinuating that the police had behaved poorly. Meanwhile, my international friends were hearing all about it. We heard nothing about that in New Zealand, only about how poorly the protesters were behaving, which as you and I and many know now, that was absolutely not the case. Absolutely. Yeah. A very, very peaceful crowd of really decent human beings that were there for everybody else, you know, uh, wanting the mandates ended. How are your injuries now? Uh, I am fully recovered now, I would say. I mean, I don't know what it gonna, it's going to mean for me longer term. You know, I'm 60. You know, as, as we get older, you know, if you've had such a significant break. I mean, the sternum is a major bone. It's mm. it's a strong bone. It's designed to protect the heart, the lungs. Um, breaking it normally is either a rugby scrum or a car accident without a seatbelt. And so when the police broke my sternum, um, other police, I think, didn't believe that it was possible that I could have had my sternum broken. And so two of them then twisted both my arms up behind my back with a broken sternum. The pain was just unbelievable. Um, paramedics, the paramedic that was there just stood idly by watching the police do that to me when he'd been called over because I'd screamed in agony saying I needed medical treatment. And then the paramedic then lifted me by my arms with a broken sternum when I should have been on a stretcher. They didn't call an ambulance for me immediately. I was there for a good hour, maybe up to an hour and a half. Uh, just le left on my hands and knees in a lot of pain. Um, and then they arrested me, which the IPCA, um, that's the Independent Police Conduct Authority, they did an investigation. And they admitted that I shouldn't have been arrested and that there was a breakdown in communication, but no apology, um, no admission of guilt. Uh, the police say that um, there's no evidence that I was um, injured by the police. There's no evidence. It's like, well, I've got a broken sternum. I didn't just manifest that. And the frustrating thing for me, Natalie, is that I have videos from three angles of what mm. happened to me. And I, I thought I thought so too. I thought I'd seen a video. Yeah, I've got videos of what happened to me. Uh, you know, I've got videos of both police twisting my arms up behind my back. And when the IPCA come back and say, uh, you know, there's no evidence. Well, the police said no evidence of assault. It's like, how can there be no evidence of assault? I've sent you the videos. And the IPCA say that I was in uh, what looked like to be a rugby scrum. No, I wasn't. There wasn't anybody touching me behind. It was just three police in front of me that attacked me. So, um, yes, that's been hard. I know I've still got to be patient and I know absolutely the truth will come out. But the longer this goes on, so initially it's the police that assaulted me and didn't arrested me wrongly. 
And then one one member of staff uh, perjured herself by lying about. I'd walked freely back with her to the arrest area. I was bent double. I, I passed out. I lost consciousness. Um, but then you get the IPCA covering up. Then you get the police covering up. And now I've got a judge that is, uh, yeah. So I have to now go down the legal course of action which is uh, both uh, common law. I've been learning about common law. So each of the officers that assaulted me, there'll be a common law claim against them. And then I'm going to use a barrister for a class action. Uh, We call it a representative action here in New Zealand for those that were worst affected on the 10th of February, because we do need to hold people accountable. If we don't, then the very next time Mm -hmm. there's any kind of protest, the police have got carte blanche to do what they like because they've just broken my sternum and got off scot-free. So I won't be disappearing anytime soon. Well, that's very, speaking of up your brave, you upped your brave, you were at the front of the line, you bore the brunt. All of our freedoms were under threat. Not everyone seemed to care or be concerned in, in New Zealand, obviously. Um, But so many people made it down there. Like you said, it was a peaceful, peaceful situation that got dialed up. And um, well, I'm, I'm honoring you in that experience. And I'm hoping that, yeah, they do be, they are held accountable because like you said, it sets a precedent going forward. This is not okay for police to be behaving like that. They're meant to be protecting and looking out for the public, not attacking them. Yeah. Yeah. And so you you sort of understand that, okay, so I got put in that place as I exercise my free will going there. Um, um, But I never expected New Zealand police to behave like that because people have said to me, oh, you are brave. I wasn't brave. To be brave, you've got to be scared. I wasn't scared. It never entered my head that the New Zealand police would do that. Mm -hmm. And then I actually, call me naive if you like, but I actually believe that the Independent Police Conduct Authority would look at my videos and say, oh, my goodness me, that shouldn't have happened. Let's haul these police officers up before the courts. And no, that's not happened. I've just been, you know, go away. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it all needs to be exposed because if the IPCA don't investigate things that are shown to them clearly on video and reach a correct or fair conclusion, then what are they doing investigating things like murders? How do we know that we can rely on them and we need to be able to rely on them? Well, more and more people are starting to question what they see or what they're being shown, like on, like you said, on the mainstream media. We didn't hear anything. Uh, we we seem to hear only the side they want us to hear or see the only that side. So I think more people are now, um, many months later, questioning what they see or turning it off altogether um, and tuning in. That's why Reality Check Radio has done so well, because people are just craving to hear from real people who have, like you, have, who have personally experienced it. You were there. You can tell your story. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm honored to be able to, well, shine the light, but, you know, just allow you the space to share your story. And I know there are many other people who have been so negatively affected. Um, so I'm honoring your journey. What What else do you wish the, the New Zealand public would know now, 2023? Um, what do you wish, what, what do you want to say? What do you want to share oh. with us? I've I've got a whole list. I've got the whole list. So one of the things that how uh, this place is supposed to work, New Zealand's supposed to work, we're supposed to have a government elected by the people and the government is supposed to be carrying out the will of the people, you know, managing the resources of the country for the benefit of the people in a sustainable way. 
And we haven't got that. If we look at the legislation that's gone through in the last three years, and particularly for me, seeing the abortion bill going through, you know, you can now have up to day before full term abortions. Well, that's just wrong. You know, it's just plain wrong. But, you know, what's supposed to happen is the members of parliament put forward the bills. Well, clearly that's not happening because the legislation that's being passed here, here, similar legislation is being passed in different countries all around the world. So there's an outside force, whether it's the UN, whether it's the World Health, WHO, um, or the WEF, the World Economic Forum, somebody else is pulling the strings of our government. That needs to be exposed. Um, there's a cool website called um, whoisthegovernment.com that's been done by a guy, Ewan Campbell. I first got in touch with Ewan Campbell. Somebody gave me his contact details the day after my sternum was broken to start looking at common law as a, as a way to get remedy. And he's done a lot of research. And one of the things he shows you is that New Zealand is, is a corporation. We are quoted on the United States Securities Stock Exchange as a company. Well, a company has a chairman and a board of directors, not a government. So there's there's a whole thing that we need to ask about. Um, and different departments within, within New Zealand, like, say, for prisons, they're making a certain amount of dollars every year. And it's like, hang on a minute you really start asking some questions about what is going on here um because the the legislation that's being passed isn't for the people by the people somebody else is causing these bills to be written like three waters where did that come from um hey pua pua which is uh this co-governance thing where's that come from now, I know that's come from UNDRIP, um, you know, which is the United Nations. Uh, it's to do with indigenous people, but it wasn't, it didn't arise from grassroots New Zealanders. You know, because if, if we were to sit down with, with a group of people anywhere, whether I'm in my hometown or, or Rewa or Christchurch now, you know, the things that bother the people are the price of food, the price of gas, the state of the roads, what's happening in the educational system with the sexualization of young children. The things we're bothered about just aren't in our legislation at all. Mm -hmm. There was nothing from a grassroots level about, you know, uh, the three waters. We weren't saying that was an issue. Where's that come from? And so we really do need to understand, you know, which of our politicians are are in the paid employment of other people. And and I think there should be absolute transparency. There's a lot of rumours, and I don't know whether they're true or not, about Jacinda Ardern's net worth now, what she was going into politics, what she was coming out. All of that should be transparent for our politicians as a starting point. And I also believe that they should be on performance-related pay. In any other business, if they weren't doing what we wanted them to do, we'd put them on notice and they'd be gone. We wouldn't have to wait three or four years for them to you know, come around again. We can have a completely incompetent MP that we've never even met, that isn't working on our behalf, uh, that is probably even working against our interests. Um, and so we've the, the whole system has to change. It's the system. If the system is has got the right checks and measures, then people within that system will correctly represent the views of the people that elect them, and and we can change. We can reverse a lot of the legislation that's gone through in the last three years and start getting this country back on a proper footing. It's definitely definitely time for doing that, for reversing the way things have been. Because what I'm hearing from you, and I agree, it's almost like the politicians 
are being told what to be told, you know, what we're supposed to be told, you know, it's not that it's come from within it's, it's come from external and they're just reading, reading the script. That's, that's my take on it. Yeah. Uh, And one of the things I didn't know, I I consider myself quite well educated. I've got two degrees, but you can't know everything. And one of the things I've only just found out quite recently, and it was through RCR. So a big shout out to RCR. Rodney Hyde was doing a, a program on explaining the difference between first past the post politics, you know, when you vote and it's first past the post and the MMR, which is where it's more proportional representation. MM, is it MMP? MMP, that's it, MMP. Yeah, uh, how we've got uh, we've got a mix of the both here. And the thing that he explained that I hadn't grasped was that, you know, for a, a party... So your first past the postals applies, but then a certain number of seats, I think it's 20 seats out of 120, they get allocated based on who votes for the party. And then that party gets to put people in and each party's got a list and the members of the party vote for the rank order, the the ranking order of different people on that list. But because of that, the whips, the party whips can keep everybody towing the party line. So even if you've got a local MP that is passionate about a particular subject, the party whip will have them vote another way so that when it comes to this MMP, that MP's got a chance of getting a seat even if they lose out. And I think that's one of the reasons that the politicians didn't talk to us at Parliament because of that system with the party whip. Because they're supposed to work for us. We literally pay their salaries with the tax that we pay what are they doing saying we're not going to talk to you? That's not a democracy. No, not at all. Are you feeling positive about going forward in terms of we we both agree the system has to change? Yeah. Um, but w- with an election coming up, are you are you feeling positive? I know you might have something you want to share with us about that. Um, what are you, what is your path going forward and your thoughts on how can people make a change? Obviously, I, I think people still need to get out and vote 100 percent. Um yeah. I am feeling positive, but I am also quite wary yeah. of the system. I think you need to use your vote, but the system we know is corrupt. We don't even know if, you know, we, we've got the same Dominion voting machines as we used in the United States. So we need a way of making sure that our votes are scrutinized properly. And so I recommend any of your listeners volunteer as a scrutineer in your vicinity so that we can make sure the authenticity of the votes. I believe we've got a lot of people who are standing up. I, I wish uh, the small parties would come together more, the yes. freedom parties would come together more. Um, I'm pinning my colours with Liz Gunn. Uh, the reason being, I believe Liz has got absolute integrity, honesty, no hidden agenda with Liz. Uh, she's been very brave, very fearless, very outspoken. She's the only, if you like, mainstream journalist that's done this, you know, Um so, uh, you know, I, I would, you know, I could hand on heart say, you know, I trust my life to Liz. And that's why I'm standing as a candidate for New Zealand loyal with Liz gone. Uh, but I'd also like to see a collaboration between the parties, because I do think we do need to all pull together. Um, there are some good people that have thrown their hat in the ring. Um, I would say most of the people that are throwing their hat into the ring, like myself, we're not politicians. We can't even stand politics, but we're recognizing that the system has to change and we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm in that position where, you know, my gift is as a healer. 
and so I remember, you know, when I had my kids. Oh, I love the um, idea of having a healer in government. That sounds good to me. <laughs> it is. It is. When I had my kids, I was very torn between helping people with my healing gift and being a mom. It was it was really painful. And again, I'm feeling that with politics. But you can imagine being able to take a level of consciousness and awareness into Parliament. I, I personally got an opinion that all the MPs that allowed themselves to be talked into not talking to any of the protesters at Wellington, I personally believe they all need to go mm. because they are not representing the views of the people. That's my own personal opinion. And so I'd like to see a clean sweep of Wellington. I think we need to look at how we do um, government from a, a completely new starting point. One of the things that's become very apparent to me, I, I'm going to be standing as a for parliament in the Fonga Paroa area. There are no systems in place for the local MP, Mark Mitchell, who is a national member of parliament, for him to even find out what the community want. There are no meetings weekly, monthly, even annually. There's nothing. So what does he do? He does what the hell he likes, really, because oh, he does. He does what he's told. He does what he's told by the party whip. And that's not what's supposed to happen. And so one of the things I want to start is meetings with the community. I'll be very active going around, you know, the golf club, the tennis club, the RSAs, uh, yoga classes, whoever's running a group, just invite me along and I will talk about, you know, what I feel is important. Um, and, and it's the things that most people say are important, you know, cost of living, <laughs> price of fuel, you know, Marsden Point, that needs to be reopened. The state of our roads, the bitumen that we're getting from China now is dire. There's so many things that our politicians should be doing for us locally and regionally and nationally that they're not doing. Uh, we're just being spoon-fed this WEF and WHO propaganda. We, we need to not sign the WHO agreement, I think our deadline is November, where we've got to opt out. We've got to say, no, we don't want to do this. Uh, we don't want somebody in the, in the United Nations or the World Health Organization saying, right, you might have a pandemic and all your businesses have got to shut again. Our economy can't stand that. So, yeah. So we've got to stand up and we've got to speak out and not be afraid. I would like to think that the Kiwis have learned a lot over the past year specifically around you know what what went down and mm. you know if things were if if something similar but different happened again surely we would have the courage and conviction more of us to stand up and to speak out um that's awesome that you're that you're standing i mean that you know it's a it's a it's a uh, it's a big deal to put yourself forward like that um mm. and so i wish you luck with that and of course like you said not just telling the people what they want to hear, but asking them questions, listening to what is concerning for them and how they would like to see things done in their local area. But of course, um, as a country, as a whole, um, I'm going to go to the questions that I ask everybody, Jeanette, and then I'll ask you um, if there's anything else at the end you want to add, we can do that then. So I'd love to hear from you. Um, I know Wellington is an obvious example, but um, is there something you've done in the last year where you consider yourself that you've truly upped your brave? Yeah, I I would say that um, when we first went into this three years ago, you know, I I really did push the envelope with all my family and friends, and and rebutted more often than not, you know, because they got their own views, and I was being selfish, and I didn't know what I was talking about, and because you know the government was the one source of truth, 
and and then I think I fell into this um, not speaking out, and then it it took a lot to come back out again, even just mixing socially. I think we all withdrew into our little shells, and and so just that coming out and again daring to have those conversations again. Uh, you know, I sat sat in. I mentioned earlier, I sat in one of the vax queues and sat, started talking to the people either side of me about you know uh, about the things that I've seen with this mRNA injection. Um, and more recently in a in a waiting room uh, to go to the doctors with my daughter, um, the practitioners came to see me because I wasn't wearing a mask. And, and I was able to say to her um, that, look, the lady that told me not to wear my mask, her mask was down over her nose. So what's the difference? Oh, yes, I've spoken to that member of staff. She says, we have to do this. I said, you're telling me we have to do this. But she'd also said to me that over her, half her staff really hated wearing the masks and didn't believe in them. If you continue to do what they're telling you to do, mm -hmm. this is going to drag on. In mm -hmm. fact, it's going to get worse. We have to actually stand up. And so it's not necessarily big things. It's the small things, wherever we can speak out. It's like, you know, kind of the word come to mind, right? Compliance and conversations. Yes. So ideally, non-compliance or even questioning, wait a minute, why am I complying? Why do I really I have to wear this mask? No, you actually yeah. don't. Read my lips. No. <laughs> no, we yeah. don't. The, the masks, we know the science shows us that the particle of the covid if there is such a thing, it's never been found in a laboratory, but were it to be, the particle would go through the mask. So why are we wearing the masks? It doesn't make any sense. Not to mention other issues around lack of connection, uh, breathing issues. It, it encourages people to mouth breathe, and which is not good for your dental health, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for that. Daring to have the conversation. So I, I, I echo that. And I, you know, I had a friend the other day. And she said someone was asking her about her job and she just normally would say, oh, you know, she would talk about it. But she decided to up her brave and say, well, actually, I got mandated because I didn't take the jab. So and she decided to that's coming out of the closet. Right. So not everyone is out of the closet yet. And I think these conscious or courageous conversations don't have to be going to someone and saying, oh, did you hear about this? Well, did you hear about that? It doesn't have to be informing, but in terms of responding when someone says something, instead of taking, you know, the easier out, but actually to speak the truth and say, well, actually I was mandated. So it's actually been super hard for the last year. And some yeah. people would go, oh my God, I didn't realize I knew an unvaccinated person. And I'm like, newsflash, you know, hundreds, you just don't know you know them because they're still mm. in the closet. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, they, they don't understand what it was like for us, you know, no haircuts, no dentists, no library, no swimming, no sports with the kids. You know, we were treated like second class citizens. Standing outside, this is me standing outside of the cafe while my family's inside eating a meal and I am literally standing outside. It was weird. Um, other than my 11 year old, of course, he was he was allowed in. Um, yeah, interesting times. Uh, what is something if you've got one on your bucket list that we can possibly help you with. All right. Now we spoke a little bit off air and I said, I have really haven't got anything on my bucket list, but you asking me that question made me think about somebody I know that really needs some help right now. And she's a wonderful singer. She was at the protest with her. Her name's Joy DeMay. She's actually my favorite freedom singer and her and her partner, the house burnt down mm -hmm. uh, just in the last week. 
and they've literally got nothing, even a guitar that she, you know, music, everything. They've lost everything, clothes, the whole lot. Um, and so if people could uh, make a small donation to Joy Demay, J-O-Y-D-A-H-M-A-E, joydemay.com. She has got a, um, oh, I forget what it's called, you know, one of these. Give a like, little, is it? Give a little, that's right. But she's such a lovely, lovely, inspirational young woman, younger than me. <laughs> uh, and it's just so devastating, the loss that they've experienced. Well, that is lovely for you to pay it forward on the bucket list and do a little shout out. But not only that, a bit of an invitation for people to um, to a fellow, you know, freedom advocate, uh, freedom fighter, joydemay.com. And are we going to play one of her songs later on? That would be lovely. Yes, I love all of her songs and a shout out for her new album that she's just launched as well. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Hopefully, the community, we can pull together. Um, some people might feel called to donate in dollars. That's amazing. And other pe- people maybe just following her on the socials or on Spotify, wherever she is, um, and supporting her. And energetically, we're going to get her music out to the world. So we'll definitely play her song after this awesome. interview. What is coming up for you, Jeanette, in the next um, in the coming months? And how can people connect with you online if they want to talk personally or maybe... Um, inv- would they, maybe they'd love to have a healing appointment with you. Yeah, cool. So what's coming up for me, I'm going to be head down, bottom up, <laughs> uh, working hard to um, get out into my local community, Fongaparoa area, um, uh, you know, doing the campaigning for, for this coming election and using that as a platform to raise all the issues that I believe people need to know about that we've been we've been kept in the dark for too long. Um my healing will be taking a little bit of a backseat until middle of October. But if people do want a session with me, either for guidance, coaching or healing, um, my website's JeanetteWilson.com. And I've also got a YouTube channel where people can see my psychic surgery. If you've never seen psychic surgery, you might want to take a look at that. It really is quite remarkable. I've got about 1100 videos of things like knees, shoulders, hips, being fixed. And that, of course, would be my other agenda in getting to Parliament, that um, our doctors look at alternative health therapies for their clients, as well as pharmaceutical drugs and surgery, because neither of those are usually the best solution. Very often there is something that can be done, it can be given. It might be, you know, we need to make changes to the gut. The person may need to relax or, you know, there may be something else that can be done that's a lot less invasive than surgery. Um, And so my videos really do put out there that healing can work, does work, and maybe is an option that should be tried before surgery. Well, on my show, the Up Your Brave show, we are definitely open to talking about holistic health. So I have never heard of psychic surgery. I'm going to go watch one of these videos. It sounds interesting. So did you say the videos were on YouTube or are they on your website? There are some videos on my website, just a small sample, along with testimonials from satisfied clients. But if you really like the videos, and some people do get quite addicted to them, that people tell me they're good to watch just before bedtime, help you have a good sleep. And people also tell me that say you've got a frozen shoulder. If you watch me working on somebody's frozen shoulder and you let the sound that comes through me go into you, you they can get an improvement in their frozen shoulder. So they the videos in themselves are quite healing. Well, guess who is just recovering from a frozen shoulder? Me, the the left shoulder. So I'm going to go watch that one. Awesome. That sounds good. 
Um, amazing. Hey, before we wrap it up, is there anything you'd love to share with our audience on today's topic, which is standing up and speaking out? If you don't, who will? You know, if there's a bit of information you have that you know somebody needs to have, speak it out. Yes, they can dismiss it. But if you don't speak it out, you never know if that little bit of information is just what they needed. So do have the confidence, particularly if you feel inspired to speak, to speak. I agree. Thank you so much, Jeanette Wilson, on standing up and speaking out. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks, Jeanette. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.